Sometimes uh, famous last words are a bit of a joke, but they're not always a joke. They're like the person who says, hey, don't worry, the gun is not loaded. And of course, the problem is it was loaded and someone lost their life. But last words are a, a big thing, and we'll touch on that a little bit today. But what I want to do in this service is I want to look at the, uh, the most famous last words ever spoken. And uh, they're the last words of Jesus on the cross. Seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. So we're just going to look at two of them today. And then uh, on Sunday, we're going to complete this message, the last five, which I can get through a lot quicker than the ones that I do today. So the first of the last words is from Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. This Statement here addresses the greatest need of humanity and mankind on the planet because our greatest need is for forgiveness. Because if we don't get forgiveness, we don't get to heaven. And so our sins have to be forgiven. And so when Jesus says these words, Father, forgive them. I want those words to go deep into your spirit and begin to think, wow, God, you are offering the forgiveness of my sins because without that, friends, we are lost forever in the darkness of eternal torment. But Jesus has said, no, Father, forgive them. I reckon He's on that cross and He's saying, Father, forgive Tark. Father, forgive Jody. Father, forgive Sam. Whatever your name is, imagine Jesus on the cross right now and He's calling out your name and He's saying, forgive him. Forgive her. Receive it personally, friends. Uh, this is not just like a mass salvation. This is individual and this is personal. And these are among the, I reckon the forgiveness, uh, the offering of forgiveness or the Father forgiveness among the most powerful words ever spoken on, the, on planet Earth because it purchased our salvation. So we read in verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminal, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, forgive them. Question, forgive who? Who was he talking about? Well, there's the Roman soldiers who crucified him. Uh, mind you, they were only doing their job, but they needed forgiveness. There was a crowd. They said, crucify him. There was the disciples who all disappeared out of sight. There were the priests who betrayed him with the 30 pieces of silver. There were the religious leaders who hated him. You know, there were all these people around the cross. Then there's Pilate who's trying to be from a distance, trying to you know, show his innocence, but he's you know, condemned an innocent man. So all of them needed forgiveness. But what about you? What about me? There's an old song that says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I wanna suggest that yes, you were there, when they crucified the Lord. Why? Because He went to the cross because of your sins. You put Jesus on the cross. Tart put Jesus on the cross. I need to own up to this. When I see Jesus on the cross, I need to think, God, look, I put you on there. You did this for me. If I had not, you know, if I was the only person who ever lived on this planet, Jesus still would have went to the cross just for me. We all put Jesus on the cross. We are all guilty sinners. We all needed salvation. So when we say, who put Jesus on the cross? Yeah, the Roman soldiers. Yeah, the crowd. Yes, the religious leader. And we wanna, we wanna bash them up, you rotten scoundrels. Why did you do that? And I think Jesus said, hold on a minute. You're just as bad. 
you're just as guilty as a crowd that said crucify him because he had to die for your sins and for my sins. Let's make it personal today. Not to feel condemned, not to feel judged, not to feel guilty, but because we also were there when we put Jesus on the cross. Question two, do you have some regrets? How many of you have made a mistake? Give me a wave. Yeah, that's a lot more than Easter eggs, that's for sure. <laughs> Sin, and sometimes you think, if only. Yeah. I mean, I do. If only I hadn't. And at times we suffer from guilt and condemnation. And you know, these are two of Satan's most powerful weapons. We read about it in uh, uh, Revelation 12 verse 10. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before God and day, God day and night has been cast down. You know, Satan is always condemning us. He's always making us feel guilty. He always reminds us of something we did wrong today or yesterday or a year ago or five years ago. It's one of his greatest weapons is to make us feel condemned. And when we feel condemned, when we feel guilty, it's hard to believe that God is gonna bless us. It's hard to believe that we deserve the favour of God. It's hard to believe that we're his favourite son or we're his favourite daughter, which we actually are. But the good news is, is this, friends. Jesus went to the cross. He died and he rose again. And Romans 8, Romans tells us there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. And I take authority over every trace of condemnation and guilt in this house. And I command it to go in the name of Jesus because of the cross, because of the resurrection. There is no condemnation. There's no record of the sins that you have committed. Do you know, I love the, the story, let me find it, of William Booth, and it said about him, <coughs> get to where is it, William Booth. He's, he has this vision of heaven, and uh, he says, all behold me has unrolled a scroll of my life. Everything I did from the day I was born to that day. And he said to his utter delight, every sin before he was salvation, no record, wiped clean. To his utter amazement, every sin since salvation, there was no record kept of it. Every sin, friends, pre-conversion, post-conversion is under the blood of Jesus Christ because of Easter and because of the resurrection. And I reckon when you go before God and you say, oh Lord, you know, God, I did this, you know, a few years ago or whatever. Lord, I feel so bad about it. He's gonna look at his records and he said, he's gonna say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? There is no record. It is gone. It is gone, friends. There is no record. So don't remind Jesus of it. Don't remind God of it. Don't remind anybody of it. There is no record. The Bible says cast in the depths of the ocean. And I believe there's a sign put up, no fishing. Now, listen, don't you go fishing, but don't you fish up someone else's sin and bring it to them and remind them of what they did. It's under the blood. Jesus says, no record. I'm preaching it. I'm, I'm preaching now. It makes me so mad at the devil. Because he, he puts people under condemnation and guilt all the time. Big sin, small sin, it doesn't matter. But condemnation immobilizes us. It, it, it d diminishes our faith. And it's hard to believe God. We always, there's something in us that always wants to earn the blessing of God. 
Friends, you never earned it. You never will earn it. Hey, live a good life. Do well. All the way. I'm all for that. But it's not how you get the favour of God. It's not how you get the blessing of God. You know, some of the most dirty, rotten sinners come under the greatest blessing of God. And we look on and say, how could God, but you know the elder brother? You know, I've done it all right. And this is all I get. And this scoundrel over there, he's lived a rotten life. He comes back to Jesus and God, you bring out the fatted calf and the robe and all that. We get upset. Why we get upset? We don't understand the power of the blood of Jesus. That He forgives us and there is no record. And that we don't actually earn. And we never have earned the blessing of God. We never will. So this Easter, today, receive forgiveness. Just confess. If there's something here, confess it. You can walk out of this place with not one record of sin. If we went to heaven, unroll your records, there'll be no sin recorded against you. Not even one. Wow, I think that's good news. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But you know, and I know, Christ has been raised. And our sins are under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this story in John 21 with Peter. He's just denied the Lord three times. He must have been full of shame and disappointment and guilt and condemnation. I would have thought so anyway. Then he sees Jesus. He's in a boat and he's just committed this terrible denial of Jesus. But he jumps out of the boat. He can't wait for the boat and he swims at breakneck speed to get to Jesus understanding that Jesus' arms are going to be open wide to welcome and receive Him, despite denying the Lord just a few shortly before that. Now imagine it's you. Imagine last night, you, you committed some sin. You, know, you did something wrong. You lied. You cheated. You watched something that you shouldn't have watched. You said something that you shouldn't have said. Would you then, like Peter, still run at breakneck speed, knowing that the arms of Jesus are still open wide to receive you and accept you? Would you do that or would you hide away in shame? Once you have confessed your sins, friend, His arms are open wide. There is no rejection towards you. There's no condemnation towards you. There's no rebuking of you, friends. You know, sometimes our problem is this, is we diminish the value of the blood. We kind of say, well, God, your blood is not really good enough to cover that sin of mine or cover that sin of someone else. And Jesus is thinking, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I left heaven. I came to earth. I went to the old rugged cross. I had a crown of thorns. I shed my blood. And you're telling me my blood is not powerful enough to cover your sin, to cover someone else's sin. Friends, I think that's an offence to God. Let's not diminish the power of the blood. And friend, you need to understand this. Do you know why? Because you're a sinner. Most of you are going to sin before you go to bed tonight. Some way, you'll have a wrong thought. You're going to say a wrong thing. You're not going to worship God like you should have. Maybe not prayed like you. You're going to something. You're going to do something wrong. I know I will before I go to bed. That's why the power of the blood of Jesus is so vital for every single one of us. We don't earn the favour of God. You are... God's favourite son, God's favourite daughter. I don't care what you have done or anywhere, wherever you are at your life. So I want you to tell the person next to you and think carefully here and say to them, you are God's favourite son or daughter, whichever one it is. Say it nice and loud. 
All right, here's a question. Here's a question. Question, question, question. You ready for a question? How many of you know that you are God's favorite son or daughter? Raise your hand. Is a few hands not gone up? Do you know it? Do you know it? Or do you think you're not quite there? Or do you think actually, Pastor Tark, he's the man. He's a bit closer to God. I think he's the favorite son. That's a big mistake. I'm no more favored than anyone in this room. If we get this revelation, it's going to change our lives. Some kids are the favorite son or favorite daughter. I don't know where you were in the line of your family, whether you're in the favorite one or favorite two or unfavorite or whatever it is. <clears throat> but you know what? The favorite son always gets spoiled. I was somewhere in the middle there. Oldest brother, he was a favorite. Still bitter about that. When you're the favorite, favorite gets spoiled. Don't they? The father will do anything for the favorite son. Hold nothing back. Dad, can I have the car? Yep, take the Mercedes. Have the Porsche. Okay, I want the Porsche. Okay, take the Porsche. <laughs> favorite son. Father will do anything within reason for the favorite son. Or daughter. Guess what? That's you. That's you. I've got people's attention right now. Everyone's eyes are looking like, are you for real? Yeah, I'm for real. Yeah. I'm for real. You can expect the favor and blessing of God. Yeah. Don't ever think that if things aren't working out in your life, it's because you've done something wrong or because you're not the favored son of God. That's the A plus B does not connect there. We're all, I don't know how I got onto this, but anyway, we're all the favorite son of God. I better finish this message. But... Um, I thought that was a pretty good point, actually. Anyone think it's all right? All right. Thumbs up for that one? <laughs> Just checking. Um, all right, here, here, you'll like this. Well, you better. Uh, Jesus said, um, for they don't know what they're doing. He takes the ignorance of sinners and our ignorance into account. And he says, oh, they were just ignorant. The, you know, the priests, the Roman soldiers, well, they were just ignorant. They didn't know what they were doing. They were being dragged along by the powers of darkness. And so they make these big mistakes. And Jesus, this thread of not no ignorance runs all throughout the scripture. But I'm so glad in my life that God has allowed, he takes into account my ignorance of some of the things that I've done in my life. I have done, I mean, you're not gonna believe this, hey, as the favored son of God. You're not gonna believe that I believe this about me, but I want to confess. All right, don't, it's not going online, is it? All right, I want to confess. I have done some really dumb things. Has anyone else here done some really dumb things? Mostly in the front rows, I noticed that. <laughs> the back rows seem to be pretty smart up there. They don't do dumb things. <clears throat> I, I, I was just, when I was preaching in the first service, God just reminded me of some of the things as a teenager. I wasn't saved, by the way. And some of the dumb things I did, it was like, I thought, 
man, how could you have been so stupid to do that? And then as a pastor, you know, you think you've been on holy grail when you're pastor, but as a pastor, I did some unbelievably dumb things as a pastor. And so I look back now and I think to myself, Tark, what were you thinking? And clearly I wasn't thinking and I did these dumb things. You know, we can do it all through, but God takes into account our ignorance. And we're not that smart in so many areas. And we do things in ignorance. Let me give you a couple of scriptures on this that might help you. Acts 3.17, about the crucifixion. Peter says, I know you acted in ignorance. You know, God's never out with condemnation. It's just not his way. And then it says in... um, 1 Timothy 1.13, even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and in unbelief. Wow. We need to allow for people's ignorance. They do some things. You know, when I got saved, you know, some people really persecuted me, but they did it in ignorance because some of them are now saved. But back then, people do things in ignorance. Sometimes they think they're doing God a favor. That's what the Pharisees, some of them thought they were doing God a favor, actually, when they were getting rid of Jesus. So allow for ignorance sometimes in people that some of the things that they do. You know, when Jesus prays on the cross for others, it's really remarkable. Listen to this. Most of us struggle to pray for good people at good times. Jesus prays for bad people at bad times. That, friends, is next level. And we want to try and get to that place where we we can, even in in our difficult times, we can still pray for others, pray for our enemies. You know, Jesus, what did Jesus say? um, He said in Luke 27, 6 verse 27, 28, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. Do you know Jesus did all of those things? Jesus is a rare teacher. He lives out what he says. He actually lives what he says. You know, I preach a lot of stuff, but I don't always live it like I should live it. I want to, but I don't always. So when we read those words, uh, love your enemies, do good, that's what Jesus did on the cross, do good to those who hate you, Jesus did that on the cross. Bless those who curse you, Jesus did that. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Jesus' words matched his life. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story about Joseph of Arimath. Now, this is for the smart people in the house. But even if you don't get it, laugh out loud anyway, so the person next to you thinks you're really smart. Okay, so here we go. Joseph of Arimathea, right, very, very rich man. He asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, and and he's got this brand new tomb, and he wants to put Jesus in his tomb. And I can imagine Pilate saying to Jesus, hey, saying to um, Joseph, saying, hey, Joseph, you're a very rich man, one of the richest in this region. You've just built this brand new tomb uh, for you and your family, and you're giving it to Jesus. Like, I don't understand why you would do that. Well, I reckon Joseph may well have answered back to him, it's okay, it's only for the weekend. (laughs) He is risen! He is risen. He was only in the grave for the weekend. Then he was gone and Joseph had his his expensive tomb back. Anyway, that's for the smart. You're pretty smart. I think a bit smarter than the first service, I think. But don't tell them that, all right? All right, let's move on. We've got to get through this message. Second saying, today you shall be with me in paradise. 
Let me read it to you. Luke 23, 39 to 43. Then one of the criminals who was hanged, just picture this, all right? I want you to see Jesus in the middle, two criminals on each side. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed and saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me. What a moment, eh? Dying on the cross, his last breath. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. There were some uh, people going up the Empire State Building, one of the highest buildings in the world. How many of you have been there, by the way? I know Tinney's been there. Anyone else been to the Empire? One down here as well? One, this one, just two, okay. Another one over there, good for you. Thanks for inviting me to come along. Anyway. Um, so anyway, they're going up there. They're getting near the top, and one of the ladies says to a guy, if the cables break, do we go up or down? He said, well, it depends on how you are living. The thought being, if you're living right, you go up to heaven. If you're living wrong, you go down into hell. <laughs> but the tour guide was wrong. Getting to heaven is very, well, nothing really to do with how you are living. A good life or in-between life is everything to do with the blood of Jesus Christ, asking Jesus into your heart and being saved and born again. That's the key to whether you go up or whether you go down. It's not based on, there's a lot of people doing fantastic works across the globe, humanitarian aid, and I love it, it's fantastic, it's awesome, but it will not get them to heaven. You cannot earn your way to heaven. Jesus earned your way to heaven when He went to the cross, when He died and He rose again and shed His blood. He earned your way to heaven. You don't have to earn it. All you gotta do is ask Jesus to come into your heart and to receive you and to receive Him as your Lord and Saviour. <coughs> Just think about the, um, the two thieves. You know, the thief that got saved on the cross, if you had to do good works to get to heaven, He's out. He didn't have an opportunity to do one good work. His last breath, virtually, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, you're in. Those of you who are trying to get to heaven or favour of God by living a good life, now please do live a good life. <laughs> That's really important. <laughs> we want the fruit of the Spirit. We want all of that. It's really, 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 really important. But not when we confuse it with God's favour on our lives or particularly God's salvation. It's not how you get saved. There's too many people in churches today who think they're going to get to heaven because they go to church, because they serve in the cafe or they you know, make hot cross buns or serve people, whatever. They think that's going to get them to heaven. No, friends, that will not get you to heaven. Only Jesus can get you to heaven. Only the blood of Jesus can get you to heaven. You've got to ask Him into your heart. You've got to be saved. One of the tragedies, one of the tragedies of our time is there are millions and millions of people in churches across the globe who think they're gonna to get to heaven because they go to church and they do some good works. Friends, they're gonna be bitterly disappointed that that is not the way to heaven. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth. No one gets to the Father but by me. Only the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin and gives us entry into the eternal courts of heaven. I'm preaching now. Deception. 
one of the greatest deceptions on the planet. If I live a good enough life, I will get to heaven. Wow. And some people are going to crawl over broken glass doing good works and think that will get them to heaven. Sadly mistaken. So we've got to preach this message from every street corner, from every platform, from every pulpit, that only the blood of Jesus cleanses from sin and gets us into heaven. I'm running out of time very fast. So I'm going to preach faster now. So there's two thieves crucified alongside Jesus. Instead of curses from the lips of Jesus, as the soldiers, think about this, think of it, they're hammering in the nails. Jesus on the cross, they're hammering in the nails. And as they're hammering in the nails, what's Jesus doing? He's praying a prayer of forgiveness. Like, oh well. So one of them swore at Jesus and mocked him, and the other was impacted by Jesus. Something touched his heart of Jesus on the cross. I don't know what it was, but maybe it was Jesus' behavior in his darkest hour, Father, forgive them, was enough to get the attention of this thief and think, wow, this is the Son of God. This is the Savior of the world. Here's a thought for you. When in your darkest hour, you manifest Jesus to those around you, one of the greatest witnesses you will ever be and also it may be a key to someone being saved when in the darkest night no matter what you're going through you're like Jesus and you shine as a true believer in Christ you know what you're doing in that moment you're preaching the greatest sermon you'll ever preach anyone can preach from here but when you can preach in your workplace, when you can preach in your home, when you can preach in the dark night of the soul and manifest Jesus, that is going to be the greatest witness, I believe, to non-Christians and to Christians. And Jesus models it for us. It's amazing, eh? Jesus' moment on that cross, his behavior got the thief on the cross to salvation and to heaven. Wow. That just... Amazing. It's really amazing what happened right there. It's the way God works. And you know, all the thief on the cross said was, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he said, remember me. He didn't understand the gospel, I don't think. He had no real revelation of what was going on. And, but the plea didn't fall on deaf ears. Jesus answered and said, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. A simple request of Jesus. Remember me. Obviously, he was owning his guilt, and in that moment, he gets to heaven. Salvation, friends, is not that complicated. Let's not make it complicated by adding all these things people have to do and the good works they have to do, and they've got to be A, B, C. No, no, no. It's, it's simple. Asking Jesus into our hearts and remember, remember me. You know, society has hierarchies. There's those at the top, they're the successes, and there's those at the bottom, the failures. Jesus was humiliated by being crucified between two criminals. It was a, it was, it was a deliberate act to insult him. He couldn't even crucify him between two reasonable people, like the worst of criminals. It's almost like he was numbered, the Bible says in Isaiah, among the transgressors. And it was a deliberate act of, of, thing, of doing that. 
But the, this is the amazing thing. One of the thieves gets saved, all right? So Christianity so often turns things upside down. The first man to acknowledge the triumph of the cross was a man at the bottom of society. Wow. Wow. You know, we always honor and we want to look up, you know, if we want time with someone, we want a time with a president or a CEO. You know, we're very hierarchical, friends. Let's not kid ourselves. It's not, God's trying to deal with that in our lives, by the way. And not to, I always say honor is great. I, I like to think I honor everybody. People at the top, people at the bottom, try and honor everybody because I think that's what Jesus does. But the world is very hierarchical. But Jesus flips it all on its head. You know, who are the greatest in the kingdom? It's not the rulers, it's not the leaders, it's the servants. He just flips it upside down. And we don't, God, I don't know. We still reject it because I don't know, we're not going to buy into that. But it's still scripture. So the first person to get saved, as it were, was at the bottom of society. So Jesus came for everyone. He has no favorites. And you know, the people at the top of hierarchy in those days, the priests, Pharisees, they missed it. People at the top missed it. The guy at the bottom, he got it. There's a lesson in that, friends, for all of us to learn today. You know, anyone can be saved. No one. Mass murderers, drug pushers, alcoholics. Don't, Don't ever think there's someone that can't be saved. Ted Bundy was a serial killer, sexually violated and murdered dozens of women. He can't even remember how many, so many they were. But he was executed, but once he was executed, he was welcomed into heaven. Like, hello, hello, mass murderer, violator, dies and goes straight to heaven? Yes, he did. Because while in heaven, a group of Christians witnessed to him, he surrendered his life to Jesus, he was saved. All came out in an interview with James Dobson, and he was, he was saved, he was born again. Friends, no one is beyond the reach of the gospel of salvation to be saved. The worst of sinners, there's a doorway for them into the kingdom of God. I think one of the big mistakes we make, friends, is we rank sins. We think this is a really bad sin, and this this jealousy, well, that's not so bad. Hold on a minute. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. All right? Let's not be Pharisees, folks, and thinking, oh, well, I haven't done that. And look, I'm holier than that. No, no, friends, sin is sin. Your your minute little sin will take you to hell if it's not forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Sin is sin, friends, and we just need to have that understanding in our hearts. Not be Pharisees. You know, the elder brother, let's not go there. I haven't got time for that. The thief on the cross. So someone said about the thief on the cross, I love this. A man not fit to live on earth, God made fit to live in heaven. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Hey, how about that? Woo! 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 I'm getting excited now because I reckon that thief on the cross is some of you. You're barely fit to live on earth and yet God is gonna welcome you and make you fit to live in heaven. And if, I, if you knew the truth about me, I'm not fit to live on this earth. I'm a sinner saved by grace, but by the blood of Jesus, He's made me fit to live in heaven. I'm waiting for that day. Yes. That's why we celebrate Easter. All right, we're wrapping this up. We're gonna bring this plane into land. And I better do it quickly because my time is gone. Two thieves are crucified next to Jesus. They're both within 24 hours of eternity. One chooses heaven, the other chooses hell. Sir Francis Newport was the head of an English club for atheists who didn't believe in God. 
His famous last words, that's what we're talking about here. I wanna read them to you. To those gathered around his bed. You need not tell me there is not a God. This is an atheist speaking on his deathbed. For I know there is one and I'm in his angry presence. You need not tell me there is no hell for I already feel my soul slipping into its fires. Wretches, cease your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Today, musicians come, singers, God's love reaches out to every human being on the planet, including you, offering forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus, regardless of how you've lived or what you may have done, big sins, small sins, or anything else. This is the message of Easter, the forgiveness of sins, salvation for anyone who will believe in Jesus Christ. It has always been and forever will be the greatest story ever told, and it is 100% true in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.